1: Relax, be heard, and be understood. It's a show where men can be men. Now
2: here's the coach who has your back, Linda Gross.
3: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. I am pumped up to tell you about today's show. Well, we're going to be talking about this person whom I call the Cat of Nine Lives, he was sexually abused, jail, murder, drugs and more. Oh my. I know we can learn a lot from my guest who is Jack Gregory on how he turned going through hell into all the positives that now are in front of him. So let me tell you a little bit about about his uh background. Um he was on his 8th birthday, I guess legally the parents are supposed to be telling the child that hey, you're adopted. How fun is that, right? Okay, at age 10, he took his first drug test. At 12, he was being sexually abused by appropriate adults. I don't know what appropriate means, but we'll ask. At 14, he found himself in a certain anonymous meetings where he was also being trafficked and passed around between teachers and more of those appropriate adults. At 17, he left home, who could blame him? 18 he lost a friend to murder at 20 his best friend killed himself in front of him um he was a violent man a criminal all right so then he struggled jack struggled with addiction at 21 he found himself incarcerated at 23 he tried to turn his life around at 35 he found himself separated and at 36 He was homeless and addicted to drugs. All right, so let's talk about the good news, shall we? 37, he got sober after he fell in love with the woman who served him coffee at the food bank. At 38, he fell deathly ill of TB, a type 2 lung failure, pleurisy, and had a total psychological breakdown but there's still more good news. At 40, he wrote his first book. He consulted on his first Hollywood feature film. 41, things are looking up. He spent six months working with escapees of human trafficking, sexual slavery, and exploitation, and then wrote a book about it. At 41, he lost um, his biological mother to cancer, And his two-day-old niece to murder, oof, all within two months of each other. And then within the year, the man who took her life was murdered in prison, uh, in his prison cell by his cellmate. Oh, my gosh. He had to, Jack had to forgive him for his own healing, and at 42, he worked on a second Hollywood film. At 43, he started a live podcast. At 45, he has now written three books supplied to five other books, and he regularly speaks to medical professionals about working with addicts, and he worked on has worked on countless films and television projects. And now... He's before us to talk about his life. By the way, before I go any further, um, if you've just joined us, you're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. The call-in number to ask Jack any uh, questions or, or offer comments, two three six four two one six seven seven three two three six four two one six seven seven. 1677 323 323-642-1677. All right, let's welcome our guest today, Jack W. Gregory. Welcome, Jack, to the show.
1: Hi, it's good to be here.
3: It's good to have you on board. Well, it seems like um, you've lived quite a few lifetimes here. That's why I'm calling you a cat of nine lives, and I don't know if you or somebody else picked your moniker. Your moniker is the accidental tourist. I'm going to say that that name doesn't cover it. I'm going to start calling you the accidental Phoenix because you certainly rose from the ashes and many times over.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I I picked the uh, moniker of the accidental journalist. It was... Um, I'd I'd always wanted to uh, work in a different part of entertainment. I never had any grandeur of, um, uh, like, you know, writing serious stuff. I just wanted to write poetry and stuff like that and working film. And I fell into journalism, um, quite hard. Uh, and yeah, I, I started investigating for people and, um, like you said, I wrote wrote the second book, the um, Between the Streetlights and Red Lights, where I worked with escapees of human trafficking, and it taught me a lot about myself, and it taught me a lot about my own abuse and some of the things that happened to these girls happened to me. So I started healing and um, by talking about it.
3: I love that. So you know, you've had a more than a lifetime worth of negativity. How would you say all this negativity benefited you? I mean, to me, I believe that in the world, in the universe, there are no accidents. So, you know, maybe these horrible things happened for a reason. So if you could pick out one or two instances, how would you say this negativity has benefited you?
1: It's, when I was a child I was very meek, very weak physically, mentally and all these things throughout the years, it's taught me to fight, it taught me to survive. Um, I don't think I would have survived had I not gone through so much negativity. it was fight upon fight upon fight upon fight, and I guess it's just adversity creates warriors, and that's what I've done my whole life. Um, you, you know, we 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 start off the victims of our circumstance. And that's one mindset and then we become the survivors of the events and that's another frame of mind. And many people stay survivor, Um, many people stay victim, but many people stay survivor And, and they keep that mentality, that fight or flight mentality when actually there's another level that we're supposed to be at and that's thriver.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: that's what I'm now doing. So I've gone from um, being a victim and a survivor, uh, and I'm now a thriver, um, and that's what I'm doing. So it's taught me to be resilient. It's taught me to be patient. It's taught me to be strong. Um, I wouldn't wish to tap my life upon anybody, but it's given me a... Um, This has given me something to educate people on. It's given me, uh, I guess, a passion. It's it's, it's given me another journey to go on. Um,
0: And
3: a Some people call it It, it, the
1: hero's journey. I I call
3: it. It sounds like it's given you purpose. It's given you a reason to get up uh, this morning and go out and fight the world and, you know, help people... To prevent people from going through what you went through,
1: yeah the only, you know the only purpose i ever thought that I had was the negative purposes that the the teachers and uh, you know when I say appropriate adults i mean social workers um and um you, you know uh adults that are supposed to be there to to um, protect you help children not um, protect children, not abuse them, Um, you know, and I I was told my whole life by, you know, and by members of, of, you know, some members of, of family that, you know, I was the black sheep, that I was stupid, that I was weak, that I would never get anywhere, I was told by teachers I would never get anywhere, that I would never do anything with my life, I was told I would be dead by the time I was 25 if I kept on with the life that I, I, you know, on the path that I was going on, um, you know. Uh, and, yeah, I guess I kind of smile sometimes because me now doing this is kind of a middle finger to these people,
3: Which is and a lot best. of them
1: are dead. Which um, is the
3: best revenge, actually, Right.
1: It is. It is. It's. it's right, um, because
3: it, it's. You know, you've come full, full circle. You have not fulfilled their prophecy. You made your own destiny. So, in that sense. Yeah.
1: If we you, believe everything yeah. that we're told. Right. We are like that, um, but we need to. We need to listen to a higher power, to a higher purpose. Um, and not the negativity we need positive people around us Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been very lucky and blessed to have positive people around me in my journey over the past eight years since I've been clean and sober
3: awesome So when you said it kind of started out when you were a very small kid and people were, you know, beating up on you and so forth, you didn't have anyone to look to, I would imagine, at that age. In other words, you didn't have an older brother or dad or grandpa or cousin that said, you know, here's how it's done, right? I mean, you just sort of had to fall on your own darn face.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had to dad, you, you know, I'll, don't get me wrong. You, you know, mum, you know, I was told when I was eight I was a doctor, but I love my mum and dad to bits. So there, there was many years when we didn't speak, mm-hmm. um, and that that was painful. But um, you know, I did have my dad, but he he was a very mild. He was still he's a very mild mannered man, mm-hmm. um, not a fighter, just a, a, a plotter, a worker. Um, my mum was a a worker. Um, you know, I had an older sister. Um, and that, that 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 was it. You know, I, I had full of teachers through my life that I've gotten on with, mm-hmm. that have affected the way that I've, I've fought, um, you know, and affected my journey in a positive way. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie about that, but, you know... I, I all I had to look to as this dyslexic kid, um, in a time when dyslexia wasn't even really recognised. Um, all I had was television,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so I kind of fell into a fantasy world for, for a lot of it, and I I used that as a coping mechanism. You no know, I, I, I I would yeah when when i was in times of stress when you know when i was being abused and things like that and you need to think of something else mm-hmm. i would play films in my head um i would play you know i had a a, a good memory for film and and and, and television and i I'd, i I'd, I'd play them in my head i always had a vivid imagination so i i could see it Right there, um, so that was a, I, I guess that's why I have an empathy with film, that's mm-hmm. that's, that's why I followed the direction that I did, mm-hmm. uh, because it was kind of a crutch for me um, in a time when I didn't have anybody to really, I could talk to because everybody else was negative and I certainly couldn't tell my parents about the abuse. Right. Um, you did know, you end Did you uh, end up
3: telling anyone at a later date?
1: I never spoke about it until last year.
3: Wow. And what was um, significant I, about last year that made you tell?
1: I just I've been thinking about it for a while. You know, I I'd written written the book and I was looking at doing a another one and I was talking to people and there's a, there's a lot of memories that I'd suppressed and yeah, I'm a man of faith. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm within a church and I, I was talking to my, um, one of my elders at the church and, uh, you know, I, I finally admitted it, that that's something that I went through and, um, he shared something about his life that he went through. So it was a kind of a, you know, it was it was bonding and I was, I was finally able to speak to somebody about it. Wow. And then doing this um, and speaking to other people that had been through it and, you know, doing the accidental journalist live and undrugged, um, other people I met. And one day I just sat there and went, yeah, I've, I went through it and this is how it's. and this is how I feel about it and this is how I'm dealing with my trauma
3: right I bet it's very very grounding you know to release that information and then to have the person at the church I mean who knew he had maybe a similar story so it was a I'm sure it was a quite a bonding moment
1: yeah it was it was um mm you know there's i've always found it difficult to make um relationships with other males um especially ones of uh a, a fatherly sort of figure or you, you know as, as, as a as, as a guide um, i've always felt that difficult i've had people in my life that that, that i've had as mentors um, through my time, and you know that, that 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 was great, but I lost a lot of trust. Um, but speaking to this guy, I knew that I could trust him because he was the one that was sat next to my deathbed, Oof. holding my hands, uh, ta- you know, taking the abuse that I was giving him uh, when I was going through this you know mental spiritual and physical journey in my mind um you know hitting out and screaming and having this breakdown and he just sat next to me and held my hand and told me that he loved me and that told me that there were you know that the, the other people in the church they love me and that we're family and you know have always been there um they've supported us as a family, um, Mm -hmm. and I don't know where I'd be without them. Um, It it gave me a bit of trust back.
3: Definitely. What a great safety net you had. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the time of need, you needed something like that the most. Good for him. Good for him. So did, did you feel like you just, inherently didn't trust your adoptive father or what was the relationship there? Oh, I mean Oh I was, love him the
1: I always have done.
3: Yeah. I mean it was um, a roof I, over I, I your head. Yeah, I was, had trust
1: the, I had trust.
3: You had trust. Uhhuh. But I, I, I uh, had trust. But, I
1: trust my dad to you know but you
3: felt you felt that he was not someone that you could relay this information to.
1: I couldn't relay it to anybody. I couldn't even admit it to myself. Never mind relay it to anybody else. Gotcha. Um, you know, I was I was I was told by these adults that were doing this to me that because I, I, you know, when I was told I was adopted on my eighth birthday as an eight-year-old, I had an existential crisis. I didn't know who I was. All I knew was television. So I created this world in my mind. And I began to lie. I began to act out. Because I thought, if I don't know who I am, I can be anybody I want. Oh. So I would be these other people and I would act out and be these other people. And I was very good at it for a lot of years. You know, I I became a, a hustler. Um, working with some long con firms, um, mm-hmm. I could play a part. I, I could act. I could do an accent. Um, you know, I'd had some acting lessons at college and you know, through the National Youth Theatre and things like that. That that was my that was an event for me. Creativity has always been an event for me, but I could not admit to myself because these teachers were telling me well you're a liar so um, everybody knows that you're a liar so nobody will ever believe you so if you tell anybody they're just going to think you're lying anyway so i thought that uh, so i didn't speak about it i thought that it, it, just speaking about that to my mum and dad who were um y- you know both born in the 30s um late 30s Mm-hmm. that they they wouldn't understand. That's not something that they would have understood. They were grafters, they were workers. Um, you know, my mum knew how to show me love, but for me to talk about these things in front of my mum, she wouldn't have understood and I don't think I could have done that. I think it would have broken her heart and it's only now in my later life that I've admitted it to myself admitted it to our accountability partners and admitted it to other people and, and that, you know, I've, I've, I've lived through this trauma and working on this trauma. It's only now that I, I, you know, I can talk about it so openly and honestly.
3: Mm-hmm. I understand. Wow. So, day that you were told that you were adopted, what, what was the feeling or... What was the feeling that went through your heart when you were told that did you have any idea before they told you that?
1: No I was just meek and and sort of mild um we would go to see you know who I found out that we would go to see my auntie. I didn't know her as my auntie. I just knew her as 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 june um and she was um about eight nine years older than me um mm-hmm. And that was in, you know, that, that, that was in the, they had to do that, but, um, you know, and I, I suppose I would see my mum, uh, my real mum, up, up to a point, but I can't remember.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I was told, I lost all trust in everything that I ever knew. And uh, like I say, I, I had an existential crisis and I, I didn't know who I was what I was you know I only knew these things that where I was born I was born in Scotland and my mum was called Mary um, and she couldn't look after me mm-hmm. and I suppose most kids when they're told that they would think oh well you know I'm loved by someone you know you, you, you've you got the love to be adopted but for me and my divergent brain all I saw was rejection so on that day it gave me a, a, a fear of rejection Mm-hmm. Um, it gave me a, a disassociation with who I was and kind of disconnection to my family for many years because I, I, I put them at arm's length um, and I you know drug abuse and other, other things it's all
0: Stemmed it's from all that disconnection <laughs> yeah.
3: it does were it
1: there goes. other well,
3: that was my first sort of Go ahead. Were there other adoptive um, children in your household?
1: No, no, no. There was just my sister. She she's my uh she was their real daughter. Mm-hmm. Um You know, I, I love her to bits. Mm-hmm. We we fought like brother and sister, you know. Um mm-hmm. it's all I ever knew. It's all I ever knew. And I had family that I would visit. And, um, you know, they would tell me, um, you know, try and get me to go and find my family. And I, I said that I didn't want to do it. I was too, I was scared, you know, um, I always said that, you know, I, I didn't want to upset my mum and dad, but, you know, I, you yeah, in the end I did, I, I did find my real family, but, um, you know, that's a story way down the line. It's, um. You know, before you can build relationships with anybody else, you need to build a relationship with yourself. And I couldn't do that. I had no relationship with myself. All I had was self-depreciation. All I had was was hate. All I had was self-loathing and anger and hurt. Uh, And, you know, that all swelled out into addiction, violence, Um, you, you know, anything that would get me away from how I was feeling because I couldn't deal with it.
3: Right. You were on information overload, I'm sure. Yeah. So I, I'm sure the meeting with your birth mom didn't ha- happen for, what, decades later maybe, right?
1: Yeah, it was 2007. Um, and we just had our daughter, my first wife and I. Mm-hmm. not long had our daughter; she was only about three or four months old. So it must have been August, September, maybe, maybe October.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I'd, I'd done a little bit of digging, but not much. And you know, I I, I got a phone call and um, from one of my mum's friends a dear man by the name of Richard um, and uh, I, I I just I said look I, I would love to speak to her I just can't right now I'm not in any sort of state I will you leave me a number I I promise I will ring later on oh so she um, contacted you and I always had a good she yeah contacted yeah, you? So, um, wow. you. yeah so thank yeah so Well, yeah, I mean, we kind of pursued each other. I'd looked into it a little little bit, and I'd got some bits from social services. Mm -hmm. um, And I'd found out that I'd got at least a sister. I found out... No, at least a brother. And then I found out I'd got a sister as well. And, um, you know, I... I was down on a website looking for her, and and somebody had... um, basically from the entertainment business had put us put us in touch with each other. Um, they they sent her a, a message and a a letter as well to boot uh with my number. Um and they yeah, she um her friend contacted me and I um I spoke to her later on that day. Um you know, I needed to count down for me. Uh, that, that when I got stressed, you know, one, one of the positive things for me was an English breakfast, an all-day English breakfast. So my wife and I and the baby, we all went out for a full English breakfast, and I sat and I ate, and I just I calmed down, and I, I got myself into a mindset where I could contact her and I rang her later, and then I found out that and got other aunties and um wow. she asked if they could get in touch and i spent the next couple of days speaking with them and um you know I were arranging a, a secret visit mm-hmm. um to surprise my mum um which is what i did i, I couldn't call her mum for a while you know i i found that difficult mm-hmm. um but i you know my my auntie June was really sort of really understanding and I stayed with her and you know I really got on with my cousins and you know I didn't didn't stay at my mum's for the first time you know first few times I stayed at my auntie June's and I would go around and spend time with my mum and my sister and my brother Mm -hmm. um, and built a I built a relationship that way
3: right sweet so I imagine your mom, when you found her, she was still living in England. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So she she's she was a Scottish woman.
0: Mhm.
1: But um, yeah, she she was still living in England. She, uh, in fact, she she was only about four miles away from where I grew up.
3: Wow. And who knew? Which
1: was a bit of a stinger.
3: <laughs> that that is weird. You might have wow. run, run into her at the market or something.
1: well i you see the thing is, I used to hang about with people that that knew her right um I used to do get debt collect- debt collecting um around there. I spent a lot of time up there in my late teens um early twenties um doing a bit of debt collection and stuff like that, and you know only streets away. And it turns out these people knew my mum, but they didn't know the connection. Wow! So, you know, it was uh, yeah, that that was a bit of a stinger.
3: Yeah, to say the least. That's a little bit. We found each other, you
1: know. We had a. It's a little bit freaky. We, you know, we we found each other. We had a. We had a relationship. I kept it at arm's length a, a little bit. I. I wasn't the best at the start.
3: Yeah, understandably so.
1: It was only after, it was only after the breakdown and, um, after, like meeting Jesus and becoming a Christian that I was able to tackle certain things and, um, speak to my mum about it. Right. Um, you know and i made amends before she, before she passed away
3: and was your the birth dad involved, or he was missing or no
1: what? no she she was fifty when when she was pregnant she was sixteen when she had me she was mentally ill um she had issues um my grandfather died uh in police custody outside a pub in glasgow um you know she she was uh she liked to drink some some addiction problems i believe
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you know she was she was a she was a young woman um she was seen as low intelligence this is how i was seen as low intelligence um when in fact she, you know, she was just most likely dyslexic, right, um, and, and just needed the right guidance. Um, but you know, I've, I've read reports that saying that she's of low intelligence and she wasn't. She was a very bright button, right. It, what what did just, you say they a didn't moment understand ago? Dyslexia.
3: You said she was fifty when she was pregnant.
1: No, uh, fifteen.
3: Oh, 15. Gotcha. All right. I'm like, wow, that's a medical miracle in itself. Um, Yeah, no, the dyslexics, um, I have mild dyslexia myself as well. So I totally get what you're saying. I mean, usually people who are dyslexic are very intelligent, but they don't show that to other people or the other people don't, don't acknowledge that. So Possibly, there's you know reading disabilities or other issues that people don't pick up on, and they think the person is is dumb and stupid, but they're really not. It's just a learning disability. Hmm. So we know a lot more about it today. But, yeah. You know, back in those days, you know, it was barely heard of.
1: Yeah i I, I wasn't able to vent how I could express myself. I could read, I say I couldn't read and write, I could read minimally, just about read my name and just about write write my name. Mm -hmm. Um, And I couldn't really get any further. So when I was put in the special school system, they just, you know, they they saw me as a lost cause. Um, It was only at 21 um, in prison that I... Learned to read and write. I always said if I could read and write, I'd be dangerous. Um, <laughs> and that, I, but I didn't yeah. do anything with it. I, you know, I learned to read and write, and I, I didn't do anything with it. I wrote a few poems, wrote them down, and kept them. Yeah. Um But it took me twenty, about twenty-five years, to write my first book. Wow. After learning to read and write.
3: Jack, I want you to hold that thought just a moment. We're going to cut away to a station break um, at the moment, but I do want to follow up on the reading, writing, and dyslexia when we get back from the break and, of course, your books. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, For my audience, if you have just joined us, you're uh, currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. We are talking to the cat of nine lives. You're on with my guest today, Jack W. Gregory. If you have any comments or questions, I'd love to we'd love to hear from you. 323-642-1677, 323-642-1677. And if you're too shy to call, you, I will catch you on the chat line right here on blogtalkradio.com, blogtalkradio.com forward slash DT Linda Gross forward slash DT Linda Gross. We'll catch you right back after the break. The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. We will be discussing men's issues, dating, relationships, sex, women, fitness, health, business, men's hobbies, men's rights, and more. She will be talking about excerpts from her men's book, Mastering Women, too.
2: Hi, guys. You've heard her on the Men's Advocate Show linda gross wants you to know what turns a woman on and makes her go wild so she just can't help herself check out linda's book mastering women real truth about women that'll change your life forever linda gives you all the insider tips on how to catch a woman and if you want to keep her in four easy steps these proven techniques will make women just melt ever wonder why the girl you really liked
3: Well, buddy, you're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. Today, we are on with my guest, Jack W. Gregory. I call him the cat of nine lives because he was went through sexual abuse, jail, murder, drugs, and more, and came out the other side which led to a lot of positives that we're going to talk about now. He is the author of three books and many screenplays. Um, I'm going to post the names of the books and the links on my social media so you don't have to remember all this. But anyway, book one was Poetic Ramblings of a Troubled Man, and book two was Escaping Human Trafficking. So if you have a question or comment for Jack, I'd love to have you call in, 323-642-1677, 323-642-1677. So Jack, you were mentioning that for a fair amount of time you had not learned how to read, other than maybe reading your name. Um and then you mentioned that during jail they did teach you how to read. So was that something that you pursued or they pursued or how did that come about learning to read?
1: It's something I pursued. Um you know, I, you can, you can you go into well, when you go into prison. I don't talk about prison much, but um you know, when when you go in there you you know, you can you work. Um or you can do education mm-hmm. um the thing is a lot of prisons they 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 get paid per head um so you know they also get paid for academic things like when people um get a, a, a phd or you know a a degree in there um they get paid a lot of money for that whereas just somebody learning to read and write um mm-hmm. they don't really get paid a lot of money so play, Places are scarce, but I did manage to get on a basic, um, you know, a basic course. And, well, you know, while I was also working while I was in there and, you know, earn, earning my money.
3: I didn't know that the jails get paid money, prisons get paid money for, like, if you earn a degree. Wow, you're doing all the work. Why do they get the yeah, money?
1: Yeah, they do. Exactly, you know, it's it's, it's <laughs> uh, per, per capita per head. Yeah. Um I don't know about American prisons, but certainly British prisons, um, they 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 get paid. Um, right. For, you, you know, showing. Uh, you know, different. Um,
3: are there other you know, different things? Different educational
1: that, things and, and stuff like that.
3: Are there other things that fall in that paid category? for
1: the prison, the um, benefit for the prison? Oh no, so I mean it was just like, um, you, 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 I think it was something like £3.25 a week um, mm-hmm. for education. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, it was, I think it was about £2.80. I got paid to work in the kitchen. Um, so that all went towards your canteen, it all went towards your little, little bits of treats. Um, Back, you know, I hate saying back in my day, but back, you know, back back in them days, mm-hmm. late nineties, early two thousands, the prisons were still quite Victorian, in, and still are to a certain degree in, in many places uh, in, in Britain. Um, you know, not uh, not had heating. There was no television. We had a radio if we were lucky. Um, you know, the, the only television that we got was um in recreation time mm-hmm. um there would sometimes let us watch a movie and turn it off 20 minutes before it finished oh. um and it was always the same movie over and over again
3: oh lord hmm. did you have a, a a good moment that you can remember in prison
1: no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm not a man that but... Uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm not a man that can really be caged. Um, I hated every single second of it. Um, it drove me close to suicide, um, uh. which is why I don't really share a prison story. You know, I, I I reference about being in there, and I I have a couple of poems that I've written that uh, describe how I felt when I was in there. Right. But, um, no, it, it wasn't a good experience for me
3: gotcha all right well we'll shift gears away from that um, you say that you're a men's mental health uh, advocate talk a little bit about that how, you know what does this mean what does this topic mean to you and how do you help others
1: well there's a there's a toxic air around men in general Uh, and and especially with mental health, and there's there's, there's still a lot of stigma around it. Um, Men shouldn't feel this way, and men shouldn't feel that way, and men shouldn't cry, and um, men shouldn't do this, and men shouldn't do that, and it's it's a toxicity, um, you know, and um, I realized that men do cry, Men do speak about the feelings. I, I speak to a lot of men who've been through a lot worse than me, some of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I've spoken to bank robbers, armed robbers. I've spoken to uh, convicted uh, I, you know, terrorists. I've spoken to uh, bare-knuckle fighters, manly men. And I've sat there and I've laughed with them. And I've cried with them because we need to show that men can speak about their feelings. Men, or should be able to speak about their feelings, and men should be able to cry and show their feelings because th- this, you know it's not taboo. Um, what has what what good does keeping feelings in? do it just causes guilt shame and anger and that turned inward is suicide and turned outward is homicide so you know we need to educate men and women um in mental health but you know women how to deal with men and men how to deal with their own minds um you know I speak about mental health in in general, men and women, but men do get a raw deal, especially in Britain.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, that's, I, I, unfortunately,
1: that's just the way that it is.
3: I I do agree with you. I think from age four, men are told things like, you know dip upper lip and don't cry and you know so it's a lifetime of stuffing those feelings when they do come up out of 30 psychological emotions it's my belief that men are only allowed socially allowed to express one which is anger the other 29 you're supposed to just stuff it so it is a big problem. It's still not socially acceptable. You know, a lot of women today, you know, say they want a sensitive man, but then when somebody ex- exhibits that emotion in front of them, oh my god, you should hear how much they talk behind your back in the in the win- in the ladies' rooms. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's still we we still have a long way to go, go on this topic. So I would I would start I would start with the men first to make it safe for I don't know if you've noticed but the name of my show is The Men's Advocate. And the reason why I, I name it that is because I think more and more over the last few decades mainstream media, you know, they they make light of men today so you know they're they're suppressed and you know you watch any commercials especially here in america and the man is often seen as somebody who's an idiot or a caveman or somehow in arrears you know they're they're not looked up to they're not respected Mm -hmm. they're not trusted it's the weirdest thing it's you know it's so i feel like we need to give men a voice and give men a safe platform to speak their mind and speak their heart
1: yeah we you know we are villainized to a point um you know i try to be understanding of everybody and i you know i i will be respectful of how people want want to be and how they identify and you know but i need to show that men have been left in the background
0: mm-hmm.
1: um you know uh there's, there's a higher suicide rate in men because men they manage it they succeed um they succeed more. And it's sad I've lost I've lost a few people over this past couple of years even
0: mm-hmm. to
1: suicide. You know. Like you said earlier, I lost my best friend to suicide he threw himself in front of a train because he couldn't handle the way that he felt. He like you know, he, he was gay and he couldn't tell his parents. Oh, this why? was in the nineties when he was still stigmatized.
0: Mhm.
1: Um, so you know we need men are in danger um, because of the way that other people think and feel and I'll probably get some hate for it for what I say and for what I stand for but I don't care men need to be protected and men need to find ways where they can talk and you know they can vent because you know the, the other choice is to lose your temper and either end up in in, in a in a coffin or in a prison cell, um, and it's not good, you know. Um, and I think it's getting better; it is getting better. But um, you know, with with everything that's going about it, things are, are starting to get toxic against being men again. Mhm. Um, I'm think so really sorry. Sad.
3: I'm so sorry for the loss of your friend. How horrible. What would you say is the biggest issue that is blocking men from getting their full due from getting the admiration, appreciation, trust, respect, you know, however you want to call it. What's what's the biggest block today in your in your estimation?
1: Um I think it's the toxicity that surrounds because you know men are seen in a certain way we we are demonized in 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 certain um, certain things mm-hmm. um, when I first started talking about uh, sexual abuse and when I first wrote the the, the uh, Between the Streetlights book about human trafficking, people were t- saying to me, why? You're a man. What do you know? You know, a man can't know about rape.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, well, I've I've been through abuse. You know, I've been through that, um, you know, uh, um, I, I was like, well, you can't be raped because you're not a woman. And these are the thing, these, these are things that people actually still believe. Right. That men should, shouldn't should be able to... If a man talks about his the way that he's feeling, is he's being, um, being dramatic, he's living in his drama. I was accused of that many times when I was having my breakdown. You're living in your own drama. Um, you get frustrated, you get angry. Oh, typical man. hmm so, you know, I couldn't win and men at uh, this redeemer, you know, when I've tried to talk about men getting sexually abused or men being in, you know, men being trafficked, uh, which is one thing that I wanted to show in the book, and uh, um, uh, men um, being at the receiving end of domestic violence, I would get, yeah, but women go through it more. Yes, women do go through it more mm-hmm. and I understand that and that is valid. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about men and how men feel and how men should be able to express their views and 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 their feelings and their emotions because they're being stifled. Mm-hmm. And all these things only went all the toxicity 90 nine percent came from women
0: hmm
3: they say that a lot of abusers were they themselves abused as a younger child so i don't know if that applies to you if if it hopefully it doesn't but how does how do you break that cycle and not later in life become an abuser again like if if Um, one if one was abused at you know, an early age—eight years, ten years, twelve years, whatever it is—how how does that male yeah. prevent themselves from abusing later in life, abusing children themselves?
1: Well, I mean, if you're going to abuse people um, like that, then there's something not right in the head, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I went through the abuse, and and in most people going through it would think, well, I wouldn't want anybody to go through what I've been through. I wouldn't want anybody to go through what I've been through. Mm-hmm. Um You know, the way that it played out for me was that I... I was a serial monogamist. I was... I would... Cheat on um, my partners, uh, um, and I would have lots of relationships with different women. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I I identified and, and liked everyone that I that I was with, um, but
3: serial monogamous. You, know, you, you mean way. you mean serial polygamous?
1: You, no, you, no, had, I, had, I would go from multiple... one relationship.
3: Oh, I see what No, no, I, you're
1: no. Um, I would one go pers- from one person at one a time. To... Got it. One
3: person yeah, one... at a time. but many relationships. I,
1: I would go from one long. Gotcha. Yeah, so I I would go from one long monogamous relationship to another, but then, um, you know, I, I would st- uh, you know inevitably start start cheating on them and, and then go go into leave and then go to another relationship and it's just it's not healthy um no. was you know that, I, I saw sex as that a basic your way thing.
3: of acting out of the sexual abuse a, as a kid was that your way of acting out
1: i i, I think that i viewed women as sexual objects yeah. um the and it's the only way like i say i it's only when I, I, I wrote the book that I realized that I treated women a certain way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, uh, I wasn't just addicted to drugs, but I, you, you know, I was addicted to a, a, a certain lifestyle um, mm-hmm. and I realized that I needed to give up pornography um, because that is a, a dangerous thing because um its objectification and you know I was um, objectifying women and seeing them as sexual objects and it's it's not a good way to be. I, you know I'm a father. I've 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 got kids. I've got girls and I try to teach them to be um, you know independent and strong. Um, and I couldn't carry on viewing women like I did and still be a a, a, a good parent to the right. girls. So I needed to change how I viewed women, because I need to show my, my, my children that, you know, women need to be treated with respect. Uh, and I, I, I couldn't do that if I didn't treat women with respect. So, it's, you know, it's a two-way thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, men need to be treated better as well. I do think that they, like I say, they get the wrong end of the bullet. But, um, you know, it's, it was all a learning curve. Right. Um I, I I saw relationships as what how it could benefit me, um, but you know I, I don't live like that anymore. I see how I can serve, how I can serve my family, how I can serve my community, how I can serve my church, how I can serve my friends and family and the people around me, um, because you know I, I've, I've I've learned the difference. Um, and I think many people that have been through abuse, they, you, you know, they may see sex in a certain way. Um, they quickly realize that it's not like that. And it takes love and trust to be able to change that. And, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky and blessed into being able to live that. And, you know, I, you know, I, I fell in love again and, um you know, I, I was the greatest partner for a while, but, um, you know, after I came out of hospital and I, I, I started working on my family and I started working on myself and, and how I deal with situations and how I deal with other people and how I see other people, how I treat other people. I treat other people how I expect to be treated um, and that is with respect uh, and love and care.
3: Love that. All right. So for someone, so for a man who was sexually abused as a child, what would you tell that person to break the child, uh, break the cycle and not be an adult abuser himself?
1: Uh, um, like I said, I, I don't think ev- everybody falls into that. I think there are. Exceptions to the and I do think that there are people that fall into that because they, they see that, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: one thing I would say is it is never, ever your fault. Um, not alone. You're not these negative things that these people are telling you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You are loved by someone. You know, don't believe the lies that you 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 you're not loved, that you're not worthy. Um, these are lies. You know, right? You are loved. You are worthy. Um, and these things that the abusers are telling you are wrong. And the abuse
3: is not you. And if you know, do you think they how- abuse and trauma? Yeah. Do you think they become repeat offenders because they don't feel loved and they don't feel
1: right? No. And, I, you, know, you see, I, I... Worthy? I think it's... Yeah, I think it's a... do don't put this? Right. I I I certainly don't think that 90 percent of the people that are abused are any dangers to society sexually physically or or any other way wow. there are exceptions to the rule there are ones that that go through it um that um that will become abusers um it's certainly not as high a number as some people would say um, it is you know but there are people that, that, that do um, and I suppose that you, you know that they view it how they were treated but there has to be something seriously broken in there for you to want to do to someone what you had done to you because I certainly didn't feel love when I was being abused Mm -hmm. All I felt was pain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anybody that wants to inflict that on a child or another person, they're not right in the head. Right. You know, there's something there, you know, abuse might have been a factor, but there is something else, some other factor, whether it be social or familial or, you know, there is some other factor there um, that makes them an abuser um, you know like people that go out and kill
3: right could be even a chemical imbalance something hormonal or whatever
1: hmm yeah well, I, I mean you know I don't well, know how other people think I don't know how I think <laughs>
3: I, I don't know if happy <laughs> is the right word but I'm Happy to find out that you're saying, you know, according to you 90% are not repeat offenders. So that means those 90% some kind of way, whether it's fear or the rest of their lifetime, they find a way to heal. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, most, most people that go through through abuse
0: mm-hmm. will
1: never become an abuser because they, you know, they know. That they would never want anybody to go through that, as you said, there are those out there that are abusers um, there is some other factor there um there's something wrong in the mind, mhm, just like someone who kills, just like some you know um, it happens. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen because it does it happens, but I think that. Saying most people that have been through abuse may may become abusers is is a, is a dangerous thing. I I don't think that it's something that we should even should even be a factor. Um, most people that have gone through abuse have gone through a traumatic thing, um, and abuse like addiction and like other things is causes a disconnection disconnection from self disconnection from family disconnection from god disconnection from society um Mm -hmm. and some people they may go so far disconnected that they you you know something might snap and and they might go and do something themselves but what i'm saying is that most people um i won't use the word normal but most people um, would never become an abuser because they wouldn't want anybody to go through what they've been through. I certainly wouldn't.
0: Gotcha. You know, um
1: My my mind was broken for a, a, a lot of years. Um, yeah, it... it it affected the way that I I, I treated relationships. But, you know, I, I think that that would be more commonplace for most people that have gone through that. But for anybody to do anything else, um, I think that there has to be other factors there.
3: Gotcha. All right, to my audience, if you've just joined us, you're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. Today we were on with my guest, Jack W. Gregory. You can find him on his website. Check out his books. Check out his screenplay, his IMDb. The website uh, that you'll reach is jwgreg.com dot.wordpress.com jwgreg.dot.wordpress.com. Don't worry, you don't have to remember all this. I'll put it on my on my social. And also, he has a a podcast that you might want to check out. Um, All right, we're gonna close out the show, Jack. Do you have any final comments um, for our audience? Um,
1: No, just um, you know, if like I've. Spoken about these lies that you're not loved or that you're not wanted or you know they are lies. Um, Don't
3: buy into it.
1: Don't buy into it. it. Find find another way to heal. Right. What
3: was the thing that What was the thing that helped you heal? the most out of all the di- i'm sure you tried, you know, a dozen different things. What was the thing that really you know, g- closed that gap for you? Was it the scre- was it the sc- I was just going to say the screenplay or the writing or just the diving into Yeah, the, the writing. Mhm.
1: Yeah, the writing, the acting, the podcasts, the journalism, and the you know, um being able to speak openly and honestly mm-hmm. um being able to advocate for men um, being able to educate
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's you know everything just its, it's creativity helps me um become the man that I needed to become.
3: And oftentimes reaching out to others to help someone else that may have also walked in your shoes, that helps as well because it's a healing process. When you teach another person, you relearn that lesson yourself. So teaching, I think.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I love to teach. I love to teach.
3: Awesome. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for um, being on our show today, Jack. And again, to my audience, you can reach him at jwgreg.wordpress.com, jwgreg.wordpress.com. By the way, to my audience, if you happen to have missed last week's show, we were talking about the last time I had anxiety. Uh, Does feeling awkward give you anxiety? Maybe you're going through a breakup or being fired from your job. Well, join my guest, in case you missed that show, Brooke Allen, who is a writer and social entrepreneur, to discuss how he ended his anxiety once and for all and how you can use those tips to diffuse negative feelings where do you catch my show well right here on the archives of blogtalkradio.com or the best places that you can catch my show are soundcloud TuneIn, itunes because you can see all seven years of my shows and you can catch up and do some binge listening and also brand new this week i am now on spotify and again i'll i'll give you those links as well on my social media um, Also, last week, not on my show, but I was on somebody else's show, catch my program from the Abracadabra podcast, and those links are already in my social media. You'll see them on my social media platforms. So I want to thank you so much, Jack, for being here, and thank you to my audience for tuning in, and we will catch you next time on the Men's Advocate Show. Bye for now.